Hello from the newsroom of the Financial Times in London. I'm Suzanne Blimson. Today we're looking at India's Me Too movement after a government minister was forced to resign in the wake of sexual harassment allegations. Jotsna Singh talks to Amy Kasmin about why so many Indian women are coming forward and whether this will be a catalyst for change. Amy, junior foreign minister MJ Akbar had to quit following allegations of sexual abuse and misconduct. Take us through the turn of events. MJ Akbar has been accused by many of his former employees of sexual harassment and inappropriate conduct during his days when he was a powerful newspaper editor. Many of these allegations actually date back to the 1990s when the women who were now accusing him were young in their 20s. Now they are senior media professionals, many of them, or senior journalists, and they have come out and accused him of an array of misbehavior. The allegations include that he called them for job interviews in his hotel room at night, asking them to have a drink with him in a hotel bedroom while he ostensibly interviewed them about jobs. One of his former employees said she was called to a meeting at his hotel room at night to discuss the newspaper for the next day, and he opened the door wearing nothing but his underwear. What is built up is a picture of predatory workplace behavior where a powerful boss essentially behaved inappropriately with young women who were at the start of their career, didn't feel that they could speak up or complain much about it at the time. Many of the women say that his behavior was so atrocious and so terrifying to them at that young age that all they could do was think about how they could get other jobs. And many of them left the organization after a period of time. Some of these cases, as you mentioned, happened decades ago. Some people are asking, why are these women speaking up now? For some of these women, they were the first women in their families ever to enter a workplace. India is still a conservative society. It's a society in transition. One woman who said she was forcibly kissed and groped by Mr. Akbar described that she couldn't even tell her family about what was happening at work because she had fought so hard to be allowed to leave home and take up a job. She had faced such resistance to it and she knew that if she complained to them or told them what was happening and sought their support, they would immediately insist that she quit her job, leave the world of work, and essentially be married off into a nice, safe, arranged marriage. So instead, she endured it until she could find another job and leave. So women were feeling very vulnerable, found it very difficult to complain at the time, but somehow, inspired by the Me Too movement, women have taken to social media and the first account of a woman who, in fact, wasn't in any way physically touched by Mr. Akbar, but who described being made to feel extremely uncomfortable in a hotel room job interview. It led to this snowballing of accounts. Why do you think Akbar chose to step down after initially sounding defiant? Mr. Akbar has denied any wrongdoing 
But it is almost certain that Akbar's response to this crisis has been completely dictated by India's Prime Minister Narendra Modi. Akbar is an appointee of Mr. Modi. He's not an elected member of the lower house of parliament. So his response would have surely been taken in consultation with the Prime Minister and other senior members of the cabinet. It seems that the initial thinking was that this crisis could be weathered and that Mr. Akbar could remain in power and that the storm would likely die down. A day after he returned from Africa, he filed a criminal defamation suit against the first of his 16 accusers. It was a pretty aggressive legal tactic. It comes with a prison sentence of up to two years if the young woman who described her encounter with him is actually convicted of criminal defamation. In fact, taking such an aggressive stance against her, he actually encouraged more women who had thus far remained silent to come out. And the day after the criminal case was filed, another woman stepped up with a very powerful and detailed allegation against him. And a group of 20 women journalists from the Asian age who had also worked under him had also filed a notice to the court saying that they wanted to be heard in support of the woman who Akbar has sued for criminal defamation. So I think it became clear that the storm wasn't going to die down and it couldn't be weathered and that in fact by his hardball tactics he encouraged other women who had also faced experiences to raise allegations against him. It seems that at that point the government and the ministers must have decided that this was just too much. There is some suggestion that the government was concerned about asking Mr. Akbar to resign on the grounds of allegations that hadn't gone through a court process because they felt that this could open a big Pandora's box, that other men could also be accused and then there would be pressure on them to follow the precedent set by Mr. Akbar. It also seems that they might have thought that this was an issue that concerned only a narrow sliver of elite professional women who are actually in the workforce and that politically it wouldn't cost them much if they tried to ride it out. But it appears that as the stories kept coming and the allegations were gaining wider and wider momentum, the hashtag MeToo has been searched all over India and it seems that their analysis of the costs and benefits finally tipped, leading to Mr. Akbar's resignation on Wednesday. Akbar is not the only one. There are several prominent men from the entertainment industry who have been similarly accused of sexual harassment by their female colleagues in recent weeks. Tell us how this torrent of accusations started. The whole Me Too movement in India has been long in coming. There have been some famous cases against powerful men that have tried to go through the court system a woman several years ago raised an allegation against a powerful magazine editor. That case has actually gone through the legal system, but in fact, it's gone nowhere. It's still hanging around in the legal system. The trial hasn't even begun. So I think women have been feeling that they have no real way to level these complaints. The current outpouring really began with a Bollywood actress giving an interview in which she recounted a sexual harassment experience where she actually raised a claim against a powerful colleague in the film world 
and nothing happened. And in the end, it was she who was marginalized and left the film industry and in fact left India. And she had come back to India and she had given an interview about this experience and basically said she felt that the Me Too movement would never come to India. That then started a series of women, initially in the entertainment industry, some stand-up comics leveled accusations against a stand-up comic, and they took to social media to trade detailed stories and accounts, sometimes sharing screenshots, and... Suddenly, it just began to snowball. These allegations have been in the world of media, in the world of Bollywood, and in the world of advertising. And no one really knows where the next allegation could pop up. What impact do you think the current wave of Me Too movement in India is likely to have on women's empowerment and their safety at workplaces? I think this is a very important moment for Indian women and especially as regards to the world of work. There's no doubt that it's very messy. Not all of the allegations, when I look at them, really seem to fall within what I would consider workplace sexual harassments. And people have also complained and, you know, they have a valid point that people's lives and careers and reputations are being really badly damaged without a due process of the law. But I think women feel that the law has failed them, which is why this is happening. I think the long-term powerful impact of this is that powerful men are being put on notice, that women are not willing to remain silent anymore, and that social media is being used to give solidarity to young women who would have felt alone, extremely vulnerable, found it extremely difficult to level allegations against a powerful boss. And maybe it won't go through a court of law, which perhaps would have been more ideal. But I think most organizations are now required to have internal complaints committees. This is something new that has been required of Indian employers in the last few years as a result of an important Supreme Court judgment. Even then, I think women had been afraid to speak up. The balance of power was so tilted against them. I think this will empower women to speak up. I think it will put employers on notice that they need to constitute real, genuine complaints committees as mandated by the law to hear complaints. It'll put them on notice that they need to put in place training about what constitutes sexual harassment. And hopefully it will go a long way to creating safer, more supportive workplaces where women can fulfill their potential and be equals in the world of work in India. That was Jotsna Singh talking to our South Asia Bureau Chief, Amy Kasmin. Thanks for listening. We'll be back with another news feature tomorrow. In the meantime, look out for our brand new news headline show called FT News Briefing, which you can find on all the usual podcast platforms and at ft.com slash podcasts. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Coriant. Coriant provides wealth management services centered around you. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Coriant has experienced teams 
who can craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex. Real wealth requires real solutions. Connect with a wealth advisor today at Coriant.com. That's Coriant.com.